Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you, everyone say you, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near and I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love those three phrases. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. You know, the last couple of years have, has marked the departure from this earth of two significant evangelists. Here, Paul is talking to Timothy about being an evangelist. And uh, over the last couple of years, two significant evangelists have departed, been promoted to heaven. The first one, uh, around the same time last year, was Billy Graham. Who remembers Billy Graham? One of the greatest evangelists ever to walk the earth. You know, uh, Billy Graham, for, uh, you know, for our family, my, for pa- my parents got saved, as a lot of you guys know, I've preached this before, in a Billy Graham crusade back in 1969. And so, you know, for that decision, for them as a family, it radically shifted our family's life. Now, I don't know what my family was like before salvation because I grew up in a saved home. But when my dad tells me the stories of what he was like, and the, you know, the history of where he came from, it would probably not have been a home that I would have wanted to grow up in with the, you know, with the alcohol abuse and with the drug abuse and all the stuff that was going on. And yet on that one day, he came forward at an altar hall, gave his life to Christ and not only changed his life, but radically changed the lives of me, my kids and future generations. That's the power of the gospel, amen. It's not just there to help you, but it's helped the, the people that move on and, and continue to live on beyond your own life. They say that Billy Graham saw millions, I don't know how many people, millions and tens, if not hundreds of millions of people give their lives to Christ. Just a few weeks or a few months ago, the second one who was promoted into heaven was Rainer Bonnke. Rainer Bonnke, the great German evangelist who saw, they'd say in his lifetime, over something like 70 million people give their lives to Christ. Again, uh, him as a person, though I never met these guys, holds a special place in my heart because I remember when I was 17 years old, coming out of a mainline church, and we got invited to go to a Reinhard Bonnke meeting at, I think it was called the Sports and Entertainment Centre in Melbourne. It was kind of the first big arena in Melbourne. And uh, my dad heard that another German was preaching, and so, you know, we we don't have a lot of Germans that come and preach. And so it was kind of an anomaly. Oh, here we go. There's another German preaching. We'll go. And uh, this guy gets up and starts preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was a radical night for us. I never forgot. And, uh, you know, when the altar call was given to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we were right up in the bleachers, right up in the nosebleed section, right up there. And the moment the altar call was given, my dad literally leaped out of his seat. I've never seen my dad leap before, by the way. My dad leaped out of his seat and ran, ran to the altar. And again, I'd never, ever seen my dad run. And I remember as a 17-year-old going, actually, I didn't realize my dad could run. (laughs) 
Yeah, my dad is running. Oh, that's amazing. And so I ran down there in the altar call and, and just in this mass altar call of hundreds and hundreds of people, we got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was just one of the most p- profound, most significant moments of my life. Everything changed for me as a 17-year-old on that day that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I began to think about that, about how the departure of these two about his own imminent death. He's talking about that he's about to depart this earth. And he's talking to Timothy about some of the things that he wants to leave with him, some ideas, some words of wisdom on the life that he led. And I guess the point that I want to make is, whether it's Billy Graham or whether it's Rainer Bonnke or whether it's, you know, the Apostle Paul, is that there's an idea in this passage, especially with Paul, that there's no regret, there's no regret in the life that he lived. We don't see any regret in the Apostle Paul's life, even at the time that he did not know Christ. And there's this idea in 2 Timothy that Paul is is measuring his death as a completion of mission. He's actually looking forward to it. He's not seeing it as a downward thing, but he's seeing it as a completion of what God has asked him to do. You know, one of the things that the Bible teaches us, and I guess history can teach us as well, is this whole idea of wisdom that we can actually see into the future. In other words, we can see how people were at the end of their lives, and we can draw from that wisdom. We can draw from that knowledge and understanding. You know, New Year's, as Frank was saying, is often marked with resolutions and new beginnings and setting new plans in place. But can I just say for a few moments, can we actually just kind of turn this on its head? What if today we weren't looking at beginnings? What if today we were actually looking at endings? You see, if you want to start well, you've got to know where you're going to finish. You see, many people start well, but they actually don't know where they're going to finish in life. Have you got a clear pathway Do you know where God wants to take you so that you can get to the end of the life? And I do believe it's a promise for all of us that we can get to the end of our time here on earth and we can actually say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. It doesn't matter how many properties I accumulated or how successful I was, that I can actually say at the end of my life, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. I think it's a promise of God for all of us that we live a life of purpose, that we live a great life with this sense of identity in God, that we don't draw our identity from the world or from our past or from other people, but there's this strong identity within us, this spiritual lamp that is burning, that we know that where we're going, that we don't get distracted with the noise, but there is a clarity in our own hearts that we can get to the end of our lives And we can say, you know what, it was a fight, but it was a good fight. You know, it was a difficult race, but I finished the race. And I kept the faith. I want to ask you this morning, not about your New Year's resolution, but how do you want your life to look at the end? And really, Paul is talking to Timothy about staying the course, about not getting distracted, not getting caught up in frivolous things, not getting caught up in issues and mindsets that are not going to be beneficial to his future. You know, it's not easy to actually stay the course. I was I heard this quote the other day about, you know, good habits. I'm into, you know, for me personally, I'm into routines. I want to say this, if you are not a person of routine, 
Routine is going to be the thing that is going to serve you. It's going to be the thing that is going to bless your life. And there's routines that I've engaged in over many years that have brought great blessing and great favor into my world. And so this whole idea of staying the course, again, I began to think about habits and good habits and introducing good habits and making sure that I stick to good habits. And I heard this quote the other day. It said this, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. People don't decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. You know, years ago when I was working for a, 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 quite a successful businessman and I was one of his sales reps and he taught me a lot about business and just a lot about making things grow and being consistent. And he used to say to me, he goes, whatever you are walking in today is what you either laid hold of or let go 12 months ago. So he goes, if you want to see success in your sales today, I would be asking, what did you do 12 months ago? If you are not producing today, it's because you didn't start working on that 12 months ago. We are such an instant generation. We think that we can just do one change and everything changes. No, the things that you are walking in today, whether they are blessings or cursings in your life, whether it's relationships, whether it's financial breakthroughs, whether it's the fact that you are in a position of health, it's because of the things and the decisions that you made 12 months ago. And so really, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy about. He's talking about staying on course. It's the old wise sage speaking to the young pastor. And to get really a full understanding of this passage, I want to give you just a really quick history. I love what you said this morning, Ramon, just about the history of that passage. I want to kind of give you some a context, some historical context about where this letter was written and where Timothy was going. Um, Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus uh, to actually help pastor the church. The church there had, had its own struggles and the stuff that was going through in that church. And so Paul wanted Timothy to go over there to actually be his representative, to actually make sure that he would help the church that was going through a difficult season. Now, Ephesus at the time was actually a very thriving city. They say at the time that Paul wrote this particular letter to Timothy, the church was around 100,000, sorry, not the church, but the city was around 100,000 people. Now, in today's population of 7 billion, remember back then there wasn't 7 billion, I don't know how many there were on the earth, uh, but, you know, 700,000 didn't seem like a lot, but that would have been in today's day probably a, a city of millions and millions of people. Now, Paul mentions Ephesus a number of times when he preached the gospel. And when you read his account of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and you uh, hear about what he says in 1 Corinthians, which we'll read in a minute, uh, Ephesus was not an easy city. Paul mentions his struggle in that city of Ephesus when he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he makes this point here. He said, now if there's no resurrection, what will those, who, what will those do who are baptized from the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I listen, if I fought the oh, have we got this up? No, okay, that's fine. If I fought the wild beast in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? If I fought the wild beast at Ephesus, what's the point if we haven't raised from the dead? So he's talking about the the value of his ministry 
when it comes to the resurrection from the dead and the authenticity of his faith. And he's referring it to the hardship that he went through at Ephesus. And he's saying, you know, if all the hell that I went through in Ephesus, it would have been for nothing if we have not been raised from the dead. And so Ephesus was a very challenging city. It was a very difficult city. It was also a very famous city. Still to this day, uh, it, it was known for some of its wonders, what they will call the ancient wonders of the world. Mark Twain wrote about Ephesus. He said, we shall never know what magnificence is. Have we got this up? I know that we, we had them up before. Okay. We shall never know what magnificence is until this imperial city is laid bare to the sun. We shall never know what magnificence is until this imperial city is laid bare to the sun. Here we go. Oh, great. Fantastic. So Mark Twain wrote, right? So the world saw this city as a monument to human achievement. Antipater, the great Macedonian general, wrote this. I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, and the hanging gardens and the colossus of the sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids and the vast tomb of Musulus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on aught so grand. So this was a well-known city church, a well-respected city in, uh, uh, in society in the ancient world. The, the city was so respected that the Romans, when they kind of invaded that whole area, they actually allowed Ephesus to keep its own currency and not introduce the Roman denarii because it was such a respected city. Now, you know, when you read it, even in the Bible, you see that Ephesus' claim to fame was the huge temple that they built, the, the, the temple of Artemis. And that was the temple that made the city famous. That was known as an ancient wonder of the ancient world. And the reality was the temple in that day was central to everything that evolved around that city. It was central to the money of the city. It was central to the fame of the city. It was central to the prestige of the city. This big, huge temple, the Temple of Artemis. Have we got that up there? There it is. That's an artist's impression of the Temple of Artemis. It was such a huge thing. It was central to the health and the vibrancy of the city. And what is interesting is that when the temple was rebuilt a number of times because invaders would come in and they would knock the temple down. But it's interesting that when the temple was finally destroyed by the Goths in 262 CE, the influence of Ephesus quickly dissipated because the temple actually was broken down. So it tells us that the whole city itself, its whole livelihood was surrounded around the temple. What is really interesting as well is when the temple was finally reduced to ruins back in that day, that uh, what we actually find is that the Christians actually took the rubble and the stone the stonework of the temple, and they took that and pillaged it to actually build their own churches. I've got to tell you what, Christians have always been resourceful. <laughs> Even back then, there was a deal-making anointing on the men and women of God, you know. So when the temple was re reduced to rubble, in the history books, it tells the Christians took them and they actually built. So some of the significant church monuments that we see even today was actually built from the stonework out of the temple of Artemis. And, uh, you know, Acts 19, Paul's encounter with the blacksmiths of Artemis. 
You know, Luke is retelling Paul's story about how, as they began to preach the gospel, the blacksmiths of Artemis who were making these little silver statues recognized that their trade was going to run dry if the whole city became Christians. And so they caused a big riot against the apostle Paul. And so, listen, Paul is sending Timothy to Ephesus to help the church and to represent him there. And it's not an easy task. The city itself is full of challenges, it's full of distractions, it's full of temptations. It, 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 there's a real threat of violence to a Timothy and the church, and he is preaching a message of Christ that is directly opposed to the culture and the success of that particular city. They don't want another God preached. They've got their own God, the God of Artemis. And that God is providing them trade. That God is providing them a success in that city. So they don't want to know the true God. And so Paul is sending Timothy to a very secular and a very challenging city. No wonder he says to young Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come where people don't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around the great number of teachers, right, to really tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Right? Again, he's speaking directly into the culture of that city. Why? Because the Temple of Artemis kind of just allowed anything to go. Right? And so they would adapt other ideas and other principles. So, you know, when Roman was talking about emperor worship, they just kind of tacked that on to their theology and kind of added that together as well. And so people, there was constantly this thing of whatever goes, will go. Whatever is acceptable is okay. Whatever you want to worship is okay with us. There's this idea in this city that they were morphing and they were changing. You know, Paul often talks about that region where he says Christians are liars, Right? He's talking about that whole city, that whole idea around that whole region where, you know, even with Greek mythology, people would kind of say, well, it started here and then it started there. And so he's coming into a culture where truth was very subjective. If it's truth for you, then it's truth for me. That people didn't care about truth. They didn't care about a line. They didn't care about what was right. They just adopted whatever they actually wanted to adopt. And so this is a letter to Timothy to really say to him, you have to stay on track despite the distractions, despite the weariness of preaching a message of truth against the popular culture. And what are the keys that Paul is talking about? And I think there are three things here that are worth looking at today about staying on track, to know that when you get to the end of your life, you can say these three things, I fought the good fight, I finished the race and I've kept the faith. So I kind of want to break those three things down this morning very quickly. We're not looking at starts this morning. We are looking at endings. Come on, who wants to finish well this morning? I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I want to finish well. And so we're going to talk about that. So the first thing that Paul says, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Now, he's talking not about warrior fighting. He's talking about athletic terms here. And uh, not fighting in the sense of violence, but it's this whole concept of athletic competition. The actual Greek word is this idea of a wrestling match. So they're not fighting, killing people and violence, but in terms of a wrestling match. Another way to put it is I have, I have uh, I've competed in the good contest. I've competed in the good contest. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, my whole life has been a wrestle. 
a wrestle where if I had to wrestle, right, with my spiritual power and my anointing and the things that God has given me. Come on, who knows as Christians, God has given you and I many things. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us the name of Jesus. He has forgiven our sin. Come on, if you believe it, say amen this morning. He's, give, he's forgiven our sin. He's given us freedom on the inside. He's given us spiritual authority, right? He listens to us when we pray. So God has given us all of these wonderful things, but Paul is saying that those wonderful things have to be matched by my commitment to actually finish the race. You see, church, let me say this. All the power that God has given us, all the authority, the mandate, the mission, the anointing, the blood of Jesus, right? The cross of Jesus, the name of Jesus lies dormant if we don't put those things actively in our lives and make a commitment to see those things activated in every single one of our lives. See, a lot of Christians just go, yeah, you know, the blood of Jesus has saved me but they actually do nothing with it. And Paul is saying the reality is, on a daily basis, it is a struggle. It is a wrestle to pray at times. Come on. It is a wrestle to be obedient to the will of God at times. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about this morning? It is a wrestle to live a godly life. It is a wrestle just to be obedient to some of the things that we know instinctively in our heart that God is asking us to do. We do wrestle in prayer. We do wrestle with our humanity. We do wrestle in our commitment levels to, at times our flesh wants to do one thing, but our spirit wants to do another thing. And Paul had wrestles. And Paul is basically saying, it is a fight. So all of a sudden you give your life to Christ and all of a sudden everything's easy. You're now battling with this old man that always wants to rise up and do the wrong thing. I expressly sense the wrong man rising up every time I jump on the Monash freeway. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how the old man just, just comes out of nowhere. When someone offends you or someone says something you don't like and you, you think you're really godly, and all of a sudden, boom, there's the old man. He rises up again. And Paul is saying that it is a fight, it's a wrestle. It's not something that happens easily. And I think to stay on track is not to get disheartened with that fight. I want to encourage you this morning, if you think that you're the only one that wrestles, everyone wrestles. When people say they don't wrestle, they lie. They're, li they're wrestling with lying. <laughs> the reality is we all wrestle. We all wrestle to keep the old man down. We all wrestle to continually aspire to be like Jesus. And I think many times the enemy comes to us and says, you're the only one who wrestles. Everyone else, look at them in their smiling faces. They're as godly as anyone. But the Bible says that we are changed from glory to glory. And I guess the encouragement that I want to give to you today is that you've got to remember it's a good fight. It's a good fight. You know, see, there are many fights that you can engage in in life. There are many arguments. There are little, many little issues that you and I can actually waste our energy in that actually don't build our faith. And the thing that we can draw out of this passage this morning is that the Apostle Paul kind of made a decision what fights that he would engage in and what fights he would actually let go. See, there are many things in life that you can get all fired up and all flustered about and all angry about. They can actually waste 
your emotional energy, but they don't contribute to the good fight of your soul. And really, the things that bring blessing into your soul, the things that you inherently know that you need to do that are right, the things that will encourage your faith, the things that will build your faith, rather than watching TV, maybe it's sometimes harder to read the Bible, but read the Word of God. That's wrestling in the good fight of faith. That is going to do more for your life than Kim Kardashian and all of her dramas and issues and things like that. The good fight. There's so many things that we can fight about. I think some praise God we don't have that. There is a great sense of unity in this church. I'm going to say this, right? Being on the national and the state executive, I'm going to have to deal with church issues. People fight about the most stupidest things. <laughs> like, I've got to tell you, and it, it's not that, you know, our movement is bad. It is right across all movements. You think about the things that churches have split over. You know, you think about the things that churches have, you know, disintegrated over. Stupid things. Pathetic things. Things that are not attached to the good fight. Come on, let's, be, let's wrestle with things that are going to build our faith, that are going to help our faith, that are going to bring blessing into our family and blessing into our soul. Let's just stay away from the stuff that is not the good fight. And Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, I have fought... The good fight. I fought a fight that was a worthwhile fight. You know, it's interesting how Paul chose not to engage in certain things. I sometimes read of Jesus, and when you read his story or his, his life in the Gospels, you will see that there are times that he withdrew. So the Pharisees are trying to just ask him stupid questions, just dumb questions. And the Bible says that he withdrew, right? Times he answered them, other times he backed off. Because I think he just knew when to withdraw because he knew, he knew that things were actually a waste of time. Can I prophesy over your life over the next decade that you are not going to engage in time-wasting activities, time-wasting arguments, time-wasting little pathetic things that are going to really be nothing to your future, no blessing to your soul? Paul says, I have fought the good fight. The second thing he says, he says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. Now, the noun that is used here, this whole idea of a race, right, is often referenced to a course, a pathway. It's a set course. It's actually, it's a phrase that is used uh, in the sun, in the Greek, how the sun has got a set course. It's got a set pathway, right? It rises and it falls in the same place in the universe. Come on, who knows that the sun doesn't go this way and then all of a sudden next day it goes that way? I mean, that would be actually disastrous, wouldn't it? You've just built your house according to the course of the sun. Hey, John, that would make life very difficult for you, wouldn't it? And all of a sudden, the, light, the, the sun turns around. There's a set courseway when it comes to the sun. So this, is, this noun is talking about the course of the human life. Jeremiah 8 verse, 5, 8, verse 6. Right, Jeremiah says, I've listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what, what have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Look at Acts 13, verse 25. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose that I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me, whose Samuel, Samuel, uh, sandals I am not worthy to untie. After John completing his work, it's talking about completing his course. He had a set course. He had a mandate that God has actually 
given him. You know, again, Acts 20, verse 17 to 24, I won't read the whole thing, but that last phrase where Paul is talking, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only my aim is to finish the race, to finish my course and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. You see, he's not only talking about, I fought the good fight, the wrestling, the internal wrestling of getting it right. He's now talking about your mandate, the thing that God has given you. Church, your mandate is different to my mandate. But let me say this, you and I, every single one of us, have got a mandate from heaven to make our life count in the purpose of God. And here we see the Apostle Paul now saying, he said, I've completed my mandate. I have finished my mandate. I've done what God has asked me to do. He's talking first about the internal wrestling, or just living a good life. The second one, he's talking about the mandate that God is asking him to do. Can I ask you today, do you know your mandate? Do you know your purpose? Do you know the reason why you were born? Do you understand that, that God has given you an eternal purpose? Do you understand all over this meeting today that there is a mandate from heaven that God has given you? Your race is different to my race, but it is a race nevertheless. God has set a course in your life, a course from heaven. The Bible says that he knew that you would be born even before your parents knew that you would be born. There's not one birth in the universe, in the, in the history of the world that was an accident. God had prepared a course and a pathway for every single one of us. Praise God. We don't need to live life aimlessly. We don't need to live life just wasting time. Paul recognises that there was a course. You know, he recognises that even when he was persecuting the church, that there was a cause. What I find really interesting about the Apostle Paul, and I think we have to give God more credence than what we often do when it comes to his mandate for our life. Sometimes people go, oh, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is. You need to be confident that God's will will actually find you. You know, because it's interesting that when Paul found the will of God, he was not searching for the will of God. He wasn't down on his knees saying, God, I want your will. He was actually doing everything in direct opposite to the will of God. He was killing the church. He was going after people. His heart was full of violence. He was completely in the opposite direction. But in that opposite direction, he found the will of God. That's going to mess with your theology. So let me just say this. Parents, if you've got kids that are walking away from God, you can believe that they can find the will of God even in the state that they are in right now. Maybe you have an unsaved husband or unsaved wife. And you're actually going, you know, if only they would just come to church. God's will can find them wherever they are right now. But if you keep praying, as the church was praying for breakthroughs, you keep praying, you keep laying hold of God, you keep believing for great things, you'll be amazed what God will actually do with your prayers. I have seen the will of God encounter people when they have been at their lowest, when they have been at their hardest, when they have been at their most violent, when they have been at their most angriest, Bang! They have been slapped in the face. They had a, have had a significant encounter with the will of God. The will of God is resilient. It's powerful. It will find you. It will find you. The third one, he says this. He goes, and I'll finish with this. He goes, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. So keeping with this whole athletic theme, Paul is referring to the rules of the race. The rules of the race. And I guess the point he's saying, he said, I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. 
I finished the race. There was a race set before me and I've kept the faith. He's talking about the rules of the race, the, the guidelines, the requirements of the race. I mean, what, what, what's the point of the race if you make up your own rules? You don't go to the Olympic, yeah, you win. I like that, Ray. When you go to the Olympics, people don't say, oh, I'm going to make up my own rules. I'm going to get a cannon to fire my shot put. What's the point of the race if you make up your own rules? You disqualify yourself from the race. And this is such a powerful point. In this Ephesian culture, in this culture where anything and everything goes, right? He's saying to Timothy, I didn't make up the rules as I went along. I didn't create my own faith. I committed myself to the faith. I think one of the big things in life that doesn't serve you well in the end is that people create their own version of the faith. They make up their own rules about their faith in Jesus. You know, when people say these days, and it's no different, if I can have the musicians come up, you know, people say these days, and again, it's no different to what I read in, in history, um, when they say, I have faith, I have faith, it can mean so many different things. The sad thing about it is, even with Christians today, they can say, I have faith, and it actually can mean many different things. I just jotted some of these things down in my history of pastoring people, right? Well, my faith believes in God, but I'm free to do whatever I want. I believe in God, I faith, but I can do whatever I want. Or my faith is strictly a Sunday faith. I go to church and that's about it, right? Or my faith is a social justice faith. I identify with Jesus' social justice commitment. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not going to allow my faith, that faith, to enter, listen, to enter the domain of my moral life, my decisions, right? The things that I subscribe to, my conscience, the things that I see or the things that I take in, right? Oh, I understand that the Christian faith is about doing good in society, but I'm not going to allow that faith to come and help me make moral decisions, live a godly life, be kind to my wife, be kind to my husband, be kind to my kids. I've got faith. I've got faith in God. But it's not going to go any further. Church, you understand what I'm trying to say here tonight, today. Paul is not saying I've, he, he has kept the faith. He's not saying he has kept his faith. I've kept my faith. faith or I've kept my version of faith. Whatever I want faith to be. Again, in this culture in Ephesus, whatever just went on, people accepted. If that's true for you, then good on you. That must be true. Okay? He is saying, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. The book of Timothy is a book of dealing with heresy and apostasy. Heresy and apostasy of people walking away from God and heresy that people come up with their own theology when it comes to Christ. I think the heresy of the modern day world today is the heresy of, I have faith, and that's my faith, right? 
but they're not talking about biblical the faith, they're talking about their own version of the faith. And Paul was really stressing to Timothy at the end, listen to this, at the end of his life, he made a decision, he said, I will not pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. I make a decision that I will not pervert, right, the thing that God has set in stone, the thing that is unchangeable, I will not create my own version, but I will be true to the faith. Sometimes in life, there's a difference between their faith and our faith. I'm not talking about people maybe in this room, but you understand what I'm saying. Church, we've got to be careful that because the social climate changes in the Christian world, and because there's so much stuff that is out there about some of our beliefs and our ideas that are antiquated when it comes to the world, that you and I can often just look at that and sometimes there can be a temptation for our own version of the faith. Paul is saying he was true to the faith. He was not going to pervert the faith, the faith that Jesus died for, the faith that God set in heaven, the faith that has the power to redeem us and to change us and to bring breakthrough in our lives. And we're just not going to create our own version of the faith, but we're going to be committed to the faith. I want to say this as a church. We will always be preaching the same message. As long as I'm here, we are not going to give you 10 different versions of what we think the faith should be. The Bible is very clear about the moral standard of the faith, about the way that we should be treating each other when it comes to the faith, about us laying down our issues when it comes to the faith, about us completely surrendering our lives to Jesus when it comes to the faith. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about this morning? There's this sense... And Paul is saying at the end, at the end of his life, he says, I've kept the faith. There was a temptation maybe for him, who knows, to water it down. Maybe not, we'll never know. But there was a sense in him, he goes, this is the faith. I'm committed to the faith. No matter whether the faith gives me persecution and hardship and pain, I am going to sell my life out to the faith for the good fight the race I've kept the faith it is a struggle it's not easy at times but there's nothing more rewarding and you know when you read these guys you don't see an ounce of regret you know what you don't see in the New Testament with the apostles they never whinge there's never whinging in the New Testament with the apostles oh life is so hard if it wasn't just a Christian life would be so much easier they went through hell kept the faith, kept the faith. Can I encourage you this morning? Let's not just think about beginnings, but let's think about endings at the same time. Where do you want your life to be? God is faithful. God is faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, Check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.